This is All Saints Day. In the Episcopal Church, we get to always transfer to the nearest Sunday the Feast of All Saints, but it's nice to be able to do it on All Saints Day proper. It's one of my favorite feast days, and I think in our tradition with a capital T as Christians, Anglican Christians, All Saints Day has always been uh, a day that's very important. But thinking about the sermon this week, there were some questions that occurred to me that uh, I decided to discuss. I may not get through all of them, but uh, what does it mean to be a saint? How do you get to be a saint? Why should you want to be a saint? Why does the church make such a big deal about the saints? What saints are we commemorating on All Saints Day? And how do I understand the significance or the importance of uh, sanctity in my own life? That the Christian way involves some uh, degree of moving towards a process of sanctification. You know, sociologists of religion say that Episcopalians are extremely good at sanctification, but they're not very good at conversion. So the question is, uh, how do we connect those two and make them not mutually exclusive? But clearly, sanctity is a, is a process. Let me talk about the tradition with a capital T and the saints and their origin. The original saints of the church were the martyrs those who gave their life for their Christian belief in the early days of Christianity and subsequently. So there are a number of saints uh, that are fairly recent that are also martyrs. But what happened was that local communities began to see that there were individuals within their own communities whose own lives had a particular significance that allowed them to express sanctity in whatever age we're talking about. So the sanctity that we talk about that produces what is called a saint is consistent with the manners, morals, and customs of that particular period. And the celebration of the saints is local. So there was no process involved in the creation of saints by an institution or a bureaucracy. The Episcopal Church still follows that basic principle in its um, speaking about the saints. It accepts uh, saints that have been uh, uh, become that have become saints or, or, or holy people uh, by the uh, acclamation of the communities. It accepts on its calendar saints who have been vetted by a process. I mean, now St. Ignatius Loyola is on the lesser feast and fast in the Episcopal Church. Some people would say, good night, nurse. (laughs) How did that happen? You know? But St. Ignatius Loyola was a saint. And what he contributed to the spirituality of Western Christianity is enormous. Just so you can file this by title, it's called Ignatian Spirituality because his name, well, later we called him Ignatius. His actual name was Inigo. That's his name. But a great, great person, a great saint. 
So when we think about this, uh, the Episcopal Church at its general convention, for example, just uh, revised its lesser feasts and fasts, and it has now in the trial period renamed it and called it Holy Women, Holy Men. Some may find that a little cloying, but the fact is that it is uh, a testimony of the local affirmation of what we mean when we speak of, of saints and their importance. So people get to be saints, I think. Um, I'll talk a little bit about this when we talk about the cultivation of our own sanctity. But I think it's because the saints have exhibited or reflected back to people a certain species of practical wisdom that they find compelling. Or they have been the transparencies and reflections of God's grace and love that we're all called to be. They've been particularly faithful to the baptismal covenant. They have understood uh, uh, how to express the infused virtues of faith, hope, and love, or faith, hope, and charity. They have been able to do that in a special way. And I suspect many of them have been very decent human beings, although that is not always true. So that might surprise you. St. Jerome. St. Jerome. Where, who cares? St. Jerome. Uh, gave us the Vulgate Bible, right? The Latin Bible, the standard Bi Latin Bible, the vernacular Bible when he did it. St. Jerome was, as Sam Goldwyn of Metro Golden Mare said in two words, impossible. <laughs> you know, just a misanthropy. He was just, you know, but there were some things about him that uh, people felt, saw, were, uh, uh, gave off aspects of sanctity. So maybe you can't uh, think about a certain kind of perfection in human character that characterizes sainthood. That's part of the paradox of all this, I think. But in any case, you and I are all called to be saints. And on All Saints Day, the saints that we commemorate are not just the saints that are on the formal Christian liturgical calendar, or the ordo, as they say in technical language. It's everybody who seeks to know and live a life congruent with God's will and purposes. And so all of us in some way have some call to sanctity in some way. Most of the time we think of saints in heroic terms, most of the time, we think of saints in a kind of hum a perfect way. Uh, when I grew up, most of the time, people were called saints who were the classic overfunctioners in every family. That was what was considered sanctity. You know, Phyllis Ludlow, she's just a saint, which sometimes meant everybody could uh, count on her to pick up the pieces that they dropped or just decided not to take responsibility for, right? So that was sanctity, and then a lot of times those particular kinds of saints wore themselves out. You know, they wore themselves out, and everybody said, "Well, she was, she was just a saint." You know, so that's somehow sometimes in popular terms uh, how we think about what it means to be a saint. In the process to create saints. There's an elaborate system now in the Roman Catholic Church for how to do that and what you have to prove and so forth. Although the last two popes seem to have been creating saints at a rate that is just incredible. You know, 
and more recently than uh, usually is the or, or or saints that are have have uh, not been dead for a long time, you know, which is an interesting thing in some ways. That's not unique. There are times in the history of the church when uh, that has been uh, the case. So let's talk about sanctity and how we might cultivate it and why we should want to and so on. Uh, the process of sanctity in, in one sense can be traced to how we understand our fidelity to the baptismal covenant. And that means that what I do, for example, on Ash Wednesday every year is I open the Book of Common Prayer and I read the Baptismal Covenant. And so I ask myself the question as part of my examen, to use an old-fashioned term, how am I doing? And is this uh, the full sum and substance of the way I might think about the process of sanctity? No but it's a good starting place. The cultivation of some form of uh, practical wisdom and checking to see whether I think I've made any spiritual progress of any kind. Remember I told you last week that there have been two threads that have run through Anglicanism with regard to spirituality that are very much part of our, uh, the way we are in spiritual terms. And uh, they come from both the Catholic tradition and also the Protestant tradition. The Protestant tradition's thread, I um, and my teacher, Urban Holmes, uh, called pietism, which is the fancy term for you need to be converted. You need to have had a felt experience of the presence of God that guarantees to you that you're now in. You've been clicked in. We would say in American, uh, you know, homegrown religion, being born again, right? So if you felt that experience or felt that insurance or felt that consolation, that that is the thing that you should seek spiritually, and once you have it, in a sense, you can rest on your laurels. The Catholic tradition says that the coming to sanctification is a process that involves doing five things. Purgation, emptying, study, discipline, and patience. The first two are, are you know, inside baseball terms. Purgation is to purge from your way of being and relating and thinking and habits those things that keep you from being centered in God. And when we say that, from being the best human being you were supposed to be because God, we, we claim in our own anthropology that we're made in God's image. And if we're made in God's image, that means that you and I are human beings. So was the Savior. You know, it's interesting in the gospel today, isn't it? Why would we read that on all saints? You know, my main answer is I haven't a clue. <laughs> But I will say to you this, the thing that there are all kinds of, you know, uh, oblique references when you listen to the biblical text. And in two places today in the gospel, we have Jesus showing deep emotion. He weeps and he's deeply moved. 
Now that is used by theologians and the early writers uh, on the great tradition of the church, the first four centuries, uh, to show uh, as, as demonstrations of Jesus' humanity, his full humanity. And maybe it's also the part of our understanding of sanctity that the ability to be moved deeply is part of the process of sanctification. There is something in the classical spiritual life called the gift of tears. You know? And sometimes you read these old hagiographies, I gotta tell you, they're, they're, you guys are just weeping constantly. You want to say, will you get a grip? Cry, cry, cry. Ignatius Loyola. Jeez, at the beginning. Once he experienced this conversion, for a time there, it was like, Ignatius, put a sock in it, would you? I mean, you can Some of his friends were saying, it's too much. But you know, the gift of tears is something that uh, all of us uh, shouldn't be ashamed of when there's sometimes we look at things and it just, we weep, you know? St. John Vianney, the guy I told you about last week, the, the patron saint of parish priests, the curé d'Ars, he used to sit in the confessional listen to people and he would just cry. He would just cry with what he heard. You know? So sanctity may have something to do with that and certainly the Savior was deeply moved and uh, that's, a, that's stuff that you can spend some time meditating about. But the process of sanctity, when you're checking it, purgation, removing those things, emptying, learning how to be less distracted, study, being the student of the deep things of the Christian faith and belief, and the deep student of all the things you need to be a good student of, even the fun stuff you do, like your hobbies. Discipline is the, the cultivation of the interior self-regulation that you need to be a healthy human being in relationships. And, and patience is the understanding that once you do all these things, you're going, well, has sanctification come? <laughs> right? And you're, you're, you're frustrated because it's two steps forward and three steps back sometimes. And we understand that in the process of this, this road to, in some way, this God's uh, love and you being a transparency of God's uh, Grace and love is a process that involves God's time and not yours. <clears throat> so checking, we say this over and over again, check, how am I doing on sanctification? Well, if you were to say to yourself, um, when you think about it, am I a little more able to be joyful, peaceful, kind, gentle? Do I have a little more self-control than I did before? This much more? That's the process of sanctification. And that's how you check to see whether or not, in fact, you are expressing both in your internal, emotional, spiritual, and mental states and in your relational life, whether you are living the fruits of the Spirit, because that's what those are. And all of us, through our baptism, possess the Spirit of God, which we understand to mean God coming in an inner, inward way to enlighten and strengthen us. 
So that means the powers of insight that you cultivate, does this involve being able and having to use consistently some abstruse religious vocabulary? Don't people drive you nuts when you hear this from some people? I have, I talk to people sometimes, I hate to tell you, maybe I shouldn't say it, but they seem to be in constant contact with the Lord. <laughs> the Lord is telling them what said the Lord. You know, well, maybe so. Who, who can second guess that? Right? I find it excruciatingly tiresome and tedious, <laughs> personally. But I don't find it excruciatingly tire tiresome and tedious when I see somebody who, in the way they are, appears to be a, a really good human being and really centered. So if you, would, if you move forward in a, in a direction of sanctification, what's going to happen in your cross-episcopalian life to do that you're being an evangelist? It has something to do with expressing certain qualities that ultimately a person is going to ask you one day, even if it's once in your life, how do I get what you have? Would you, I, I just have a great admiration and respect for you and I really like what you say and I'd like to know more about how you get, how you do that. And then you'll have an opportunity to share the practical wisdom that you've learned as you've lived your life, the accumulated response to adversity. How you have been able to do that and how you have been able to say, you know, I feel a little bit more able to cope than I did yesterday, and then it'll probably move because the day after that, you'll be once again, I haven't a clue about what to do and where to continue, <laughs> right? So consistency isn't what we're, we're uh, talking about here. Remember, uh, Emerson is often misquoted. He didn't say that uh, consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds. He said a foolish consistency. the hobgoblin of small minds. He also mentioned divine first. Divi yes, for divine, he did. Yes, that is correct. And so the, the, the issue is, is that you and I ought not to be uh, hung on foolish consistencies in some ways. Also, Lord Acton has been misquoted while it's on my mind. He didn't say all power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. He said all power tends to corrupt. Absolute power tends to corrupt, absolutely. Now, why would that be a comfort to anybody in leadership? <laughs> well, it might be a comfort because sometimes when you have to make hard decisions, you know, you, you, you make them. And uh, it can tend to corrupt, but you need to ask God for the graces not to let it, you know? And if you believe in God's unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness, that is a possibility, isn't it, to do? So when you think about the processes of sanctification, uh, it involves that, being the best human being that you can be, made in God's image and likeness. That's a good thing. So I guess this week the thing for us to do is to think a little bit about our process of sanctification. You know, we have had in the last 18 months at St. St. Luke's Church a lot of death. There's been a lot of people who've been longtime members here who have, have now died and gone to God. And that, that is always a very tough thing for a pastor. It's rough. It's rough for all of you. 
who knew them and loved them. And we've lost a lot of the practical wisdom that we got here on a sort of regular basis live. But we also can remember and access that memory when we think about that. That's one of the ways you and I appropriate what the church teaches about eternal life. So when we think about that, we also know this. Those people that we knew and who reflected back to us certain aspects of their human character and embodied maybe some of the process of sanctification uh, can serve for us uh, as examples. That's why they're part of the communion of saints. And it is something that they now know by direct experience. They don't have to access it by faith anymore. You see? That's what we still do. But as we live, faith isn't the only thing that's central to our self-understanding as Christian people. So is hope and charity. And they cannot be thought of apart one from another. So when you think about uh, your Christian sanctification, think about how you're doing on the hope and charity end of things. Remember I told you somebody told me hope. Honesty, openness, persistence, enthusiasm. That's the way you live a, a life of hope as you face the opportunities and the challenges in front of you. So see how you're doing as uh, part of the communion of saints this week. Amen. Amen. Cafe.